Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. I want to start off by playing a game. Is that cool? I don't think Blaze kids should be the only ones that get to play games on a Sunday. Okay, so we're going to play a little round of this or that. Who's ever played that before? Okay, so I'll give you the, give you the directions. There's going to be two options on the screen. And if you are for this, the first option, you will raise one hand. And if you are for that, you will raise two hands. So just make sure your hands are working. Everyone practice this. Okay. And I put it down and that. Okay. Awesome. You've got this. Here we go. Ready? Pizza or hamburgers? What do you prefer? Pizza one hand, hamburgers, double hands up. Oh, I'm seeing some double hands. All right. Put them down. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. You're like, I like all of them, bro. Don't make me choose. Okay. Here we go. Cats or dogs? Cats or dogs? I got one hand up proud. Some of you are like, I don't like animals, so I'm not playing this game. All right, this is important for today. Chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Chocolate? You're like, I want the twist. Can I get the twist option? Maybe add some sprinkles, a little kick line routine. All right, Uh, two more, two more. Summer or winter? Okay, summer or winter? Okay, a little, little diversity there, all right? All right, probably the most divisive one we could come up with this morning. Apple or Android, okay? Now, if you have two hands up, we're gonna do our deliverance portion of the service. So come on up, we're gonna pray over you. Um, so, two hands proud, two hands proud. We go pray, man, in the name of Jesus. So it's, it's so fun when we play a game like that and the options aren't really personal to us. So I thought how fun it would be to play another round. <laughs> And I put a picture of Trump on this screen and Biden on that screen. And then I realized we've been working hard on growing the church for eight years and we're not gonna squash it with one stupid decision. I thought, what if we put uh, public education and homeschool or private education? I thought, what if we put vaccination or no vaccination? See where I'm going? So we're fine with having fun with each other when the preferences are palatable, but when they strike a chord with us, the walls come up and we don't know how to navigate that. Like we genuinely don't know how we can, you'll hear this term a lot today, like share a meal, come around a table with believers, because that's going to be our context for this morning, with those who have put their faith in Jesus and yet have a different preference than us or even different worship style. I mean, there are so many beautiful churches on this island and globally, and sometimes it creeps into our hearts to say, well, my church is the best, and we can't appreciate another tradition, and we have division. So today, what we are going to discover through Galatians, through Paul's writings, is how we can honor, say the word honor, how we can honor Others and specifically other believers who have different opinions. Now, every one of those words is strategic. So we're going to honor, not tolerate. And we're going to talk about what the word tolerance means. 
We're gonna honor, not tolerate, other believers. So for today's message, we are talking about how do you actually honor someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ, but has a different opinion on you, maybe even a different interpretation of parts of scripture, a different practice in their church, a different political leaning, a different stance on education or medication. How do you honor other believers? How do we have, and you've gotta know this, and if you need the proof of it, just look around right now. We believe God has called our church to be a diverse church without division. So we just, yeah, we have this crazy idea. It's crazy that here on the east end of Long Island where Riverhead is so diverse in its races, in its economic status, in its political leanings, that what if God could actually bring together a group of people rooted in the gospel of Jesus and create a space where diversity can happen without division, where unity can happen without uniformity. So we're gonna learn how to honor each other by looking at God's word. So we're in this series called Grace on Repeat because we see the book of Galatians as Paul being moved by the Holy Spirit to remind us again and again, what you most need is the grace of God. What you need to keep coming back to is not moralism, which would be a moral code or legalism, a set of laws and rules to to somehow get your salvation. No, you and I need the grace of God on repeat in our lives. So Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we have it preserved for us today, and we call it scripture. So Galatians is part of the New Testament. Your Bible is broken up into two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament is where we're gonna be reading from. And Paul wrote to a group of believers in a city called Galatia, which was a part of Asia Minor, not Asia Mina, as we all discovered. If you were in the 11 last week, I had a little Brooklyn sneak in there, and I'm not even from Brooklyn. Asia Minor, and he writes to them because the gospel that he gave them was under attack. It was a gospel issue. He gave them the gospel, as we learned last week, a good understanding of the gospel is who are we, what did God do, and why did he do it? We are dead in our sins. Jesus gave himself for us. And it says, according to his will, meaning you did nothing to deserve it. It was his grace at work in your lives. But that gospel was under attack because of a group of Judaizers, as they were called, Jewish believers in Jesus who were saying, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to adhere to all the Jewish law. There was nothing wrong with the Jewish law. There was nothing wrong with them practicing it. The error came when they said, by practicing it, you become saved, forgiven of your sin. So they were taking two major categories of the Jewish law. We'll talk about it today. Kosher, the dietary rules, and circumcision, and saying these Gentile believers need to put their faith in Jesus, and they need to practice what we've been practicing, a beautiful practice for thousands of years. But when Jesus came, he said that way of practice is not the means to salvation. It had its place in time. And now he's come to fulfill the law and go on practicing it. Go on living this way, your preference, but don't impose it on these non-Jewish believers. So Paul, we learned about his story last week. He was the persecutor of the church turned preacher. It's a great book. Like he went from killing Christians to creating Christians and sharing the gospel. And when he got this moment of, of the grace of God in his life, a man came alongside called Ananias, shared the gospel with him, prayed over him. And then another man came along, Barnabas, who is known as the son of encouragement. And for 14 years, everybody say 14 years. For 14 years, 
Paul is preaching the gospel. He is sharing the gospel. He is loving people. He is now zealous for the Lord, not for the traditions of his fathers as we read last week. And at the 14 year mark, he has this concern. And he says, I wonder if I'm running the race in vain. Now, he's not worried that the gospel he's preaching isn't the true gospel. Because why be worried about that for 14 years, bro? You should have checked in on that like in year one. So he's not worried like, am I running in vain by preaching a false gospel? He knows the gospel he's preaching. He says it's the gospel that has been revealed to him by Jesus Christ didn't come from a man. He's concerned because of this group of Judaizers who is preaching what he calls no gospel at all. He's concerned that if Paul is preaching this gospel, but they're preaching that gospel, the church is going to split in its infancy. And he needs to know, is what I'm preaching true? And is what they're preaching not true? Because these anti-gospel teachings cannot exist. Understand? So this is a gospel issue. So Paul decides very strategically and very brilliantly, I will go to Jerusalem the hub of where Christianity started. And I will talk to the head honchos, the big three, Peter, James, and John. And I will go directly to them and say, here's the gospel I've been preaching. Here's what they are doing. And if you are somehow validating their ministry, it is in conflict with the gospel that we have received from the Lord. So he's gonna go. Now, because he's smart, he doesn't go alone. He brings his buddy Barnabas with him, who is known as the son of encouragement, this great apostle that was there when he put his faith in Jesus. And watch this. He brings a man named Titus, who is a Greek believer. He is bringing a concrete test to Jerusalem. Hey, you know how? Because if Titus goes with Paul and the Jewish apostles say, yes, we believe that Greek believers need to adhere to the Jewish code, well, Titus about to get circumcised, everybody. I mean, I wonder how nervous Titus was for this trip. Like, Paul, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure they're going to be on our side here? And he, let's just go. Like, this is the test. If they say no, then, then sorry, buddy. <laughs> so they go. And here's what he writes in Galatians 2, 6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. Titus, sigh of relief. Woo! <laughs> Close call. They had nothing, because he was preaching the gospel that we will discover it again today, grace on repeat, but a gospel that says you are dead in your sin, hopeless and loved in Jesus, and he paid the price for you. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot work your way into it. As we saw last week, some false gospels of having enough faith to be saved. No, it's the object, not the level of your faith that saves you. He goes and says, good. The gospel. In fact, he says, in fact, verse 9, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church. Again, the big three, these guys are it. Like they were in the beginning of the church. They were set apart by Jesus. They were called the pillars, recognized the gift God had given me. And they, what's the word? Say it with me. Accepted. They didn't tolerate Barnabas. They accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us. So what's your encouragement coming from the three pillars? They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. And do you know what we're seeing in this verse? Diversity without division. We're seeing two 
Groups of believers say, this is my assignment to see the local church expression this way with this community. And this is your assignment, Paul and Barnabas. Express the gospel. Just don't deviate from the gospel. And you preach to the Gentiles. And this is awesome. And this is what they were praying for. And it sounds so good in theory. <laughs> because how many know what we know up here is often not translated to what we do right here. We know it. We know honor all. We know love others. We, we know it. They knew it. They were accepted. They were commissioned. Go now. And where they go is to a place called Antioch, which was the Gentile hub for the church. And you've got the Jerusalem believers in the, Jeru in the Jewish hub for the church. And now there they are preaching the gospel and it sounds awesome. And then when the rubber meets the road, we see that there has been a deviation from the gospel in one of those apostles' heart. Anybody want to guess which apostle gets the worst reputation when it comes to making mistakes? Peter. And so we love you, bro. But thank you for your example, right? Like Peter just, he's so, so I love him. He's so forward. He just has a love for the Lord and he just goes and then thinks about it. Anybody else? Mouth's on fast forward, brain's on pause sometimes. Just like, oh my gosh, I just said that. And they give me a microphone and I still do that. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> Peter's like, now Peter, here's what's interesting. He's had these moments with the Lord, personal moments of restoration, of commissioning, of being a part of the church. But now Peter arrives in Antioch and what he knew in Jerusalem, he seems to have forgotten. And we're gonna see what Paul has to say. So we're gonna read Galatians 2, 11 through 13, and then we'll talk about it. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. What a statement. So he tells us, here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how, say the word with me, fearful. We'll talk about that. The root behind the behavior. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, and what a tragic verse this is for Paul to write. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy, and that is a weighty word and used appropriately here. We'll see why. They joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept away in the charade. His buddy, Barney, Barney, I love you, and you love me, and we're a happy family. But what happened? You have been swept away in the charade. So what's taking place here? Because on the surface, it almost feels like Paul is overreacting. I mean, so what? He wouldn't share a meal with the Gentile believers. He had a conviction as a Jewish person. Is that such a wrong thing? We need to understand, because Paul is not writing light lightly. So the issue is not in table manners. The issue is not in eating habits. Peter has every right to practice dietary laws that he wants, just as you and I do when it comes to our preferences and our practices. So what's going on? 
Well, what we need to know is the Jewish eating laws came from God, from Jehovah, through Moses the servant to the Jewish people. They were given by God. There is no denying this. And they were given for the purpose of setting apart the Jewish people from all the other nations. And the primary purpose to show no one is clean enough or good enough for a holy God. Because the law was given to show how you can't fulfill the law. You can try your best, but on any given day, you are going to have a thought. You're going to say a thing. You're going to accidentally eat bacon. Whatever it is, you're going to fall short of the standard. And then there was the atonement process. And this continued on for years. And then Jesus shows up and Jesus does something interesting. Jesus starts breaking laws that they've held on to. Like he starts, like he doesn't change them, but he fulfills them. He shows the big meaning to them. There's moments where he's eating grain on the Sabbath, which they were told not to do. This was secondary law, but in their culture, it was a society that said, no, you don't do this. And Jesus is so explicit at one point, and Peter's there, and he tells him, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, guys. It's what comes out of your heart. And the disciples are seeing this, and they're trying to figure this out, like, yeah, but what do we do with our history and our tradition? And it's so beautiful. And then Peter, our boy Peter, has a moment with the Lord personally. It's recorded in Acts chapter 10. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament where Peter is up on his roof and he's hungry and it's lunchtime and he gets a vision and he sees these unclean animals coming down on a sheet and the voice speaks to him that we learn is the voice of God and says, Peter, rise up, kill, eat. And Peter being the good Jewish boy that he is says, no way, I'm not eating. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. It happens again. It happens again. And then the voice says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And at that moment, an Italian shows up. Now, how many know the party gets better when an Italian shows up? Because he showed up with oil and bread and and pizza and meatballs and spaghetti. And you bring Jewish and Italian together and you've got a party, right? So Cornelius shows up and Peter's a little hesitant. What do I do? I've never gone to the house of a Gentile. And suddenly we see him eating with them. And then we see Cornelius and his family is saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes back with his worldview change and tells the apostles, it's true. Non-Jewish people can be saved. I saw it. And by the way, they bring salami and the meats to their parties. We may want to rethink this bacon thing. And he goes back. He didn't say that part. But they're trying to figure out this new world that they're in where the gospel is central, but their preferences still exist. So where's Peter now in Antioch? Well, Paul tells us before his buddies from James showed up, he had no problem sitting at a table with Italians, with Romans, with, notice the text, non-Jewish believers in Christ. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord. He has no problem eating with them. And then when they show up, he pulls back. Let's read it again. Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was, say the word again, afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The text tells us the why behind the what. Because 
Behind every behavior is a root that's driving the behavior. There's an attitude driving the action. And for Peter in this moment, fear of others was driving him to pull back from people he just had community with. Now let's make this real because it's not enough just to talk about Peter. We got to talk about ourselves today. Now we'll play Have You Ever. We've done this or that. Let's play Have You Ever, okay? (laughs) Have you ever thought, what will people think of me if they see me eating with, quote, those people? And the answer for everyone in the room is yes, you have. Even if subconsciously, you have a bias in you that causes hesitation to wonder what will my group of people, the ones that vote the way I vote, that view education, immunization, whatever it is the way I do, what will they think if they see me sharing a meal with those people? Let's not forget the context. What will other Christians think of me if they see me eating with those Christians? And the fear and worry of the approval of man could cause us to deviate from what we will see Paul call the line of the gospel. So there's a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. I love it. It's personally like a a Christian fortune cookie book, if I can say that. It's just little statements. And the reason why I can say that is because my first job was at a Christian bookstore and we sold fortune cookies with scriptures in them. So I've lived this life, okay? And many of those cookies were filled with Proverbs. One of my favorites is this one, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It's just God's word. No explanation, just a good command for your life, a good principle to live by. If you're afraid of what others think of you, it will become a trap. Or you can trust in the Lord and be kept safe wherever you go, knowing, because this is what the gospel tells us, because what we most need is our hearts to be gospeled, to know I've already been approved of by the Father because of the work of the Son, so I don't have to fear what others think of me as I walk in honor. So what does Paul do? Well, it says in verse 14, when I saw, so now he's seeing this deviation from the gospel. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, let me pause for a moment, because up until this point, I have been sharing with you that this is a gospel issue, but there's still some tension in us to say, what do you mean a gospel issue? This just seems like a personal preference playing itself out. And I've got friends that I like to be around and people I care not to be around. How is that a gospel issue? Well, that may not be, but this was for Peter and we'll see why. And Paul tells us very explicitly, they were not in line with the truth of the gospel. We'll see why. So he says to Cephas, and Cephas is his Jewish name, in front of them all. And look at what he says. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs? In other words, bro, you were living like a Gentile yesterday and you're Jewish, that's awesome. But then how come you get to live a duplicit life, two lives, but you're telling these Gentiles, you're not really saved if you don't live like a Jew. He's just calling out the obvious to them. Like, what are you doing? Now, here's what I love. And we've got to understand this, especially if Blaze Church is your church. This is one of our values here. Notice that Paul doesn't write letters to James and John 
Notice that he doesn't start telling other church people or leaders about Peter's actions. He doesn't even post about it on Facebook. He goes directly to Peter. Directly to Peter. So here's one of our values. You've heard it before, especially if you're on the dream team. We don't talk about people. We talk what? To people. We talk to people. We don't talk about people. You know why? Because some of you have been talked about before and that's called gossip. And what you have thought in that moment was this, I just wish someone would have talked to me. So Paul, he talks to Peter and he does so because he loves him. It's honor. He's recognizing Peter, you're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. This is not him trying to persuade him to eat differently with the Gentiles. He's concerned not about his eating preferences, but about his gospel alignment. Does that make sense? Again, it's diversity without division. It's unity without uniformity. He's not saying, Peter, you've got to become like a Gentile. He's saying, Peter, you've missed the gospel here with how you're acting which causes us to understand what was going on in Peter's heart. By him eating one day and not eating the other, what he is setting up is a legalistic gospel. That means he's creating a gospel that is based on human effort and merit to create a sense of superiority. You've done this before. I've done this before. You've seen people do it. Where we feel like we're better Christians. I'm more Christian than them. How? How? your definition of Christian is wrong then. Because to be a Christian simply means to have your identity formed by the saving work of Jesus. So how can you be more of that than someone else? (laughs) How? So let me give you some examples because I don't feel like it's awkward enough in here already. (laughs) When we say things like they can't be a Christian because I know who they voted for, you are somehow saying that their voting preference validates their salvation. They can't be a Christian because I've seen what they eat, drink, smoke, do. You, you can't use that as the equating status of salvation. You're taking away from the gospel. Now we'll talk about at the end because some of you are very concerned. Oh my goodness, I just stepped into a church where anything goes. No, hang with me. Okay, we're gonna get to his last verse about dying to Christ ourselves and Christ in us. We're talking about when we say things that all of a sudden we create a sense of superiority to another believer in the Lord. So can I share with you a story from my childhood? Growing up, I believed, I was taught that you cannot be a Christian and go to the movies. And some of you chuckle there, but don't laugh at my upbringing. My parents are in the room, okay? Blame them. (laughs) We were taught, we were taught you can't go to the movies and be a Christian. So you know what that did in my own heart? And this might've been because of the leadership or because of my own wayward heart towards setting up myself as being a better person than others. I would judge other Christians that went to the movies. And I would say, there's no way they're a Christian. They saw Lion King, my goodness. (laughs) Movie that promotes death, brother rivalry. I mean, are you kidding me? There's no way they're a Christian. There's no way. Come on. When we do that, We feel real good about us and we create a false gospel that says I'm somehow more deserving of the grace of God than someone else. It came from a tradition where we didn't drink alcohol. I would look at people and say, are you kidding me? Jesus turned water into grape juice, bro. Read your Bible. Come on. We, 
Come on, just think about that. Do you, you do understand that the church is way bigger than this basement church that we are in right now, okay? This is a little tiny speck on the capital C church that has been going on for 2,000 years without you keeping it spinning and it will continue to spin when you're long and gone, okay? Jesus started this thing. So we are one expression, hear me, we are one expression of the church around the world that has beautiful practices and traditions. How can we look and say we have the truth and they don't? That our interpretation and application of passages of scripture is right and theirs is wrong. The only thing that we can never deviate on is the gospel. And if the gospel is changed and the gospel in its best sense is you are more loved in Christ than you could hope for and more sinful than you'd ever dare admit and that Jesus paid the price for you. If that is changed, then we have heresy. But everything else, we're trying to figure this thing out. And Peter shows up and he's changing the gospel when he refuses to eat because he is expressing out of line with the truth of the gospel. I'm better than you. I'm more deserving of salvation than you. So Paul responds with what you need and I need. Gospel realignment. How many of you have, are still putting off getting your tires aligned like your boy? I never did it and I don't plan to, sorry. I just know you gotta hold on tight, buddy, because if you let go, you're gonna hit. We need our hearts to be realigned by the gospel because we will drift. We will shift. We will embrace fear and pride and it is ugly and it divides the church and it pushes against honor. So Paul meets him with the gospel. And I just got to think that if the apostle Peter needed to be reminded of the gospel, I certainly do. So what's the reminder? Here's his verse. Yet we know, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Hey, Peter, we know this. We've been shown this. We've received the gospel. No one is justified. I'll tell you what that word means in a minute. No one is justified by what you do, by keeping the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You need to understand the word justified. It means to be declared righteous. It is a legal term. It is when your standing goes from guilty to innocent. Here's something you should write down since all of you brought back your books today, okay? You should write this down on the sermon notes part. Justification means what's true of Jesus is now true of me because of Jesus. What is only deserving of him as the perfect sinless lamb of God becomes my truth, my reality, because he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. Justified. When the father looks at you, he sees a justified adopted child of God. And Paul says, your justification came through faith in the perfect work of Christ. Which means, Peter, you are no more deserving of justification than your Gentile buddies because your eating habits do not save you. Jesus does. He levels the playing field. We are all in need of grace on repeat. I love what Paul does because he doesn't go after his eating habits, his behaviors. He goes after his heart. Change the heart. The behaviors will follow. Change the heart. Let me say it this way. We need gospel motivation, not behavior modification. We need our hearts first changed by God. Now, don't miss this. That does not mean that God doesn't change how you live. 
Okay, we're gonna get there. We got two more verses. That doesn't mean, okay, cool, I've been saved. I've been made new. My heart is, is renewed and I'm just gonna keep on living this sinful life that I have lived. No, no. Now you get to enjoy the beautiful process of sanctification, which is often messy, which requires daily surrender, Paul says. I daily die to my flesh. It requires the grace of God on repeat because get this, the grace that saved you is the grace that continues your salvation. It's not justified by Jesus, sanctified by your boy, Keith. No, no, I can't keep my salvation. I need the Holy Spirit to do that work. Daily surrender. But we need, like Peter, gospel motivation in our hearts. So here's how Paul ends this portion of his letter. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And how many know when Christ is living in you, you're living different. Honor is your calling. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And would you believe that the same God who loved you and gave himself for you loved the person that you find hard to honor and gave himself for them too? Because you are no more deserving of his grace than the next person. The gospel is rooted in Christ's commitment to us, not our commitment to him. And isn't that good news? In fact, Paul writes, I believe it's to Timothy, that he remains faithful even when we don't. It's grace on repeat. So now the Christian life is one of obedience because I've been saved, not obedience to be saved. My doing flows from my being. Come on, we talked about this in our wound series as we went back and found that grandpa's still in our bones. Remember that? And Jesus might be in our heart, but we need our doing to be changed from our being. So you are now a justified child of God. And now we live, or rather Christ lives in us. And then this last statement from Paul, may the, all of this just, move us today to honor. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Well, how would you do that, Paul? Well, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. What a statement. Paul recognizes, Peter, this is a big deal. If you think law keeping saves you, you are in essence saying Jesus never had to come and die. And the gospel can get no additions or conditions or it becomes no gospel at all. So here's the question we started off with, this or that. Can you honor believers who are different than you? Not different better, not different you're better. They believe in Christ. They have received salvation through the perfect work of Christ. They are walking out their sanctification through surrender and they may vote differently. They may choose education differently. They may have preferences different. And can I again, so this is not twisted. We are not talking about gospel deviation. We are not talking about areas of immorality that scripture calls us. If you're like, does this church talk about sin? Yes, we have been. And also come back for part five when we talk about chapter five and the works of the flesh is gonna be a doozy. Okay, you're gonna find the works of the flesh. So we don't just keep living the same way, okay? But how, how about 
you getting around a table with someone who professes faith in Jesus and you, you may not see eye to eye on a lot of issues. Can you do that? Can you honor them? Can you love them well? Let me read this quote. We politely sit by those other people in church, but we won't eat with them. We won't really become friends with them. This is by the, uh, I cried in the first service, but I didn't think it was going to happen again by uh, the late Pastor Tim Keller, who, if you're not aware, is in the presence of the Lord now and who made the biggest gospel impact on my life, my understanding of the gospel. And hey, he was reformed and I still loved him and I grew up as a Pentecostal, so what do you think about that? We politely sit by those other people in church, he says, but we won't really eat with them. This is easy. Let's call it what it is. It's easy to come here. It's easier than getting around a table and actually having honoring conversations with someone. We sit in rows and you might look around the room and say, wow, that person doesn't look like me. I've seen their bumper stickers. They certainly don't live like me, but I don't have to share a meal with them. I never have to rub elbows and that's great. We can just kind of keep it keep it casual. No, not as followers of Christ, not here. You've got to understand if Blaze Church is your church and some of you are deciding that, and that's awesome. We have a vision to be a very diverse church here, like to love. And you know what unites us? You know what will not change? Our, our gospel. The gospel will be clear every time. Today is new here. So if you're new, please join us as you heard. But I'll give you a little preview. Oftentimes the question comes, what kind of denomination is Blaze Church? And my answer is always a letdown. We're non-denominational. You know why? Because we just don't fit into a box. There are boxes, the gospel. And you've got to know this is such a melting pot of a church. So the person sitting around you, they may come from a Baptist tradition, from a Presbyterian tradition, a Pentecostal tradition. And yet here we are saying it's the gospel that is central and focused in our lives. And we honor each other and we live out what scripture says about not intentionally offending one another and learning each other's stories and walking with each other in humility. And you need to do that. And that's why, lean in. That's why you need to be in a small group next week. It's small group Sunday. You have to actually choose to join a June small group so that you can go from Jerusalem to Antioch and see if what you know, you will actually do at someone else's house. Or you just go to one and be like, oh, I ain't going to back. Those people, I can't believe they're not Christians. What? You talked about the gospel? Have you embraced one another? Have you passed the plate to someone else? and said, tell me more of your story. How beautiful that we are all in need of the grace of God. So we've got this slide that's gonna be up for the remainder of our service, our June small group slide. And on it, there is a QR code. And I want every person, if Blaze Church is your church, for you to join a small group. In fact, in the first hour of us opening them on Friday night through text message, more than 60 people signed up right away. Like groups were, yeah, like we celebrate that, it was fun. Groups literally closed in minutes because people were like, talk about it Tuesday, I'm going there brick oven gospel, get me some pizza. But there's enough groups for every person to be plugged in. And now you know the why. You have to live out your faith. You've got to be in an environment where you get to honor someone else, another believer. So our response this morning will be stillness before the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask that for 30 seconds, nobody move, please. 
can use the restroom after. No one's gonna speak from the room. Wanna make that clear? We're just gonna sit before the Holy Spirit because we've just heard God's word. And now we want the Holy Spirit to make it personal in our lives. So I'm gonna ask two questions for you to meditate on as we respond in stillness. And then I will lead us in a prayer. First, ask the Holy Spirit, where am I allowing fear to drive my life? There could be a group of people, other believers that you are so afraid to eat with because of what people will think of you. Let him, let him press on that. Or this one, have I replaced the gospel of grace through justification with law keeping? And that is so easy to do. We believe in a gospel of grace, but if we're really honest, we also kind of think we're more saved than someone else based on our doing. Let him press on that. So if you would be so willing to maybe open your hands before the Lord, open hands is just a, a posture of receiving. Kind of getting our bodies ready for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our spirit and our soul. Let's be still before him for a few seconds. In this quiet moment, asking, am I led by fear? And I, am I embracing a gospel of works? Father, there was so much said and heard today. And I ask first that if any of my personal preference came through, that you would forgive me. Lord, I ask that as we've heard this message, that is a call to action, a call to honor, a call to live in line with the gospel, that your spirit would produce the fruit that is needed for this way of living that your spirit would give us the gifts that are needed to live out this Christian faith. That we would declare like Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Father, I pray that the vision that we have as a church in this part of the world, to be diverse without division, to be united without uniformity, to rally around the truth of the gospel would be protected. May that vision go forth in this community. I thank you that even in this room, we can look around and see different cultures and races. And as we get to know each other, we can find different traditions and leanings in the Christian faith. And we can honor each other because of the gospel of grace. Thank you for today and this time in your word. Now may we live it out. And I pray as I always do before small groups launch that we would have 100% participation. Every adult in Blaze Church plugged into a small group. Discovering what it means to eat at a table with others who are different than us, but who have been adopted by the Father through the Son. Through his work, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.